This is High Stakes from Gerard Phillips, Kate and Hancock. Over the last year, healthcare marketers have run from thing to thing to keep up with the constant changes at their organizations. There's really been no time to pause for breath and to look out past today. But it needs to happen now, especially as attention is returning to the patient experience. So we caught up quickly with Reed Smith, our VP of Digital Strategy, to see what he's tracking as the industry shifts back towards consumerism. Cool, man. Well, let's, let's talk about digital update. And I think the place to start is with patient acquisition and retention, getting people back to care and then kind of building that relationship or rebuilding that relationship and, and keeping them there for, for necessary care. So what are you seeing as far as uh, patient acquisition goes these days? Well, I think, you know, we're on the heels of well, the last 12 months, I guess. And that's not really going away, but it's become necessary, I think, as especially some organizations don't have the runway other ones do. So the volume recapture piece is important. I, I think leveraging the trust that we have and have had over the last year to really advocate that it's safe you know, to come back, you know, things like that is going to be important. I think we'll continue to see the virtual and telehealth visits stay in an increased rate than what we had, I guess, in 2019 and prior. But it will go back down and people are going to want to come back, you know, especially as normalcy kind of comes back around a little bit. People are just going to want to do things that they used to do. And some people would just rather be there in person. And quite honestly, some some providers would rather provide care that way. They also weren't super so about just being virtual only. So I think that is the interesting piece here is how do we not let, or what do we do to not let virtual care and ultimately broadband access really kind of weigh into the, the access issue and the social determinants of health being about internet. Yeah. I had a conversation Earlier today, I guess by the time this publishes, that conversation will not be out yet, so everybody stay tuned. But for Art of Change, talking to a community health organization, and they were talking about how it's really important to set up telehealth facilities, like microsites, within mm-hmm. existing facilities where, where their patients already are. So you could come in, a patient goes in for whatever it is, and then, oh, there's a basically a kiosk, and you can sit down and have a, a medical visit, and then you're getting around the issue of broadband right there. I mean, we already do this. We've already done this historically with school districts, right? And those school nurses could uh, pull in a physician or a subspecialty physician into the school. And so that's a great use case for that. We'll probably see some of that, I would think, at large employers, again, the aforementioned school district or universities, maybe even churches, places where people congregate. It seems that would make sense. What questions should providers be asking if they're trying to figure out how to sort of consolidate their telehealth work or to address these types of issues like access and how they partner up with other organizations? Like what do they need to be looking at? I mean, I think there's the technology piece, which might be the easiest to address, but it's just, you know, having the ability to to actually perform these visits. I think the other thing that we need to think about is providers or, or organizations that employ providers specifically is, are we giving them the training and tools they need? And so, you know, what does bedside manner mean virtually? How do you round on patients when they're not physically 
like there. And so I think we've got to rethink the patient experience a little bit and kind of what that means. I think from a marketing standpoint, you're trying to bring people in and give them that point of care. I think our calls to action have probably got, have broadened. I mean, before it was visit this URL, call this number, fill out a form, maybe some online scheduling. We've bypassed, you know, we've almost leapfrogged all of the initial calls to action and just said like half care now, you know, <laughs> kind of a call to action. Um, and I think we just got to be careful that we're not marketing a bad experience. That's not really what you want to do. So before it was like, hey, let's not encourage people to sign up for an appointment if there are no appointments available for six months. Yeah. Well, in the same vein, like let's not market our telehealth services if they don't work real well. I mean, that sounds simplistic and I know we all want to do it, but I think we just need to think about the patient experience as it relates to these digital entry points. Well, I mean, it sounds simplistic, but it's a longstanding issue. Providers have been marketing their patient portals and mm -hmm. none of those work very well, right? So maybe I shouldn't say none of them. Relatively few of them, fewer than should be the case, work very well. So it's not like there isn't a history of marketing services that aren't great. Right, right. Yeah. And I think, to be fair, a lot of the reasons we marketed that stuff is because there was a mandate to, sure. you know, and you had to get so many people to sign up and create an account and this, that, and the other. Again, not a great reason to market something because you have to, but that's what we did. But the other opportunity, and I think people are more and more comfortable every day, every hour that goes by, people are more comfortable with this, but is the AI or the chat bot side of the equation. And we're seeing the real utility value that's found in those and the data, the backside of that. You know, we've talked about CRM for a long time, but think about the hundreds of thousands of conversations that are being had through these chat bots and what that could tell you about what people need, want, where they're having issues, you know, that, that type of thing. So I think you couple that, not just the virtual visit, but the virtual conversations, uh, and you couple that with the ability to schedule and have virtual care and, and our care delivery model changes quite a bit. And I think it even opens up opportunities for things like mental health, maybe that has a stigma attached to it, that if people can do it in the privacy of their home or kind of on their own accord or when, you know, anonymously, if you will, that's, I think, an opportunity that really kind of broadens the ability for us to reach more people. Yeah, that's a great point. I'm just thinking about the, the podcasts that I listen to. I don't know how many of them are running ads by betterhelp.com which mm -hmm. is exactly that. Mm -hmm. And and all of those reads by the, the podcast hosts include some form of, you know, this last year has taken a toll on us mentally and also we can't go out. So receive care in your home. It's funny growing up, I, you know, I always wondered even before I had children, what would I be telling my kids that like when I was your age, you know, that kind of stuff. And it's like, I feel like we're getting to the place. It's like when I was your age, you had to physically go to the doctor. Let's keep talking about patient expect or consumer expectations. You mentioned yeah. scheduling, you mentioned convenience, and we're talking about access. We've seen that the organizations that have had good success with getting people vaccinated, particularly employees, because that's a very easy to measure metric, ha are the ones who have done this, geez, are the ones who have made this really simple and streamlined, right? Like the signups mm -hmm. to get a vaccine, scheduling your second vaccine appointment, using 
simple online tools. So it's just another example, I feel like, of trends that were already on their way before the pandemic sort of being brought to the forefront and now kind of forcing us to shift our expectations as consumers and, and as providers the way that we, we deliver the, on those. Um, so what do you think what do you think is happening in terms of the consumer mindset right now? I don't know that it much has changed as far as an expectation is concerned. I think the expectation of I should be able to do everything online is still there. And I don't, I think less people want to go find information, right? And again, this is back to the chat bot scenario. They just want to ask, they just want to cut to the chase. Like how, how do I find out the thing? This is why those help accounts on Twitter worked so well. No one wants to call Delta Airlines. They would rather just tweet them and get it all fixed immediately. What people want is a frictionless uh, experience. And so people are going to steer towards ease, steer towards consistency uh, and things like that. They don't, they don't want to go through a bunch of steps. They don't want to go to a website and click a whole bunch of times to find information. They just want to ask somebody a question. And so as we think about marketing communications and kind of this consumer entry point, we've got to be cognizant that that's where the rest of the world is steering. And so for example, Google is trying really hard to keep you on the search results page. They don't want you to click through the website. This is why you see those knowledge cards from like the Mayo Clinic. You know, if you Google atrial fibrillation, you can find out everything you want to know about AFib on the search results page. You don't need to go to a website. And so it's, it's fundamentally changing the way we think about these online web properties and how we use them and what they're for. So they've got to become much more of a utility and give people a way to accomplish something. What's the role of social? You mentioned it briefly. You talked about the Twitter helplines. It's a good way to deliver content. What should providers be doing as far as delivering content through social media? So yeah, a couple of things. I think, you know, your content strategy is really important and, and I'm not sure, and I'm not sure anybody would advocate that that does not include distribution on social channels. I think this goes back to a larger conversation around personas and persona development. And, you know, are we putting content on the right platforms to reach the right people? That aside, however, I think we've had a little bit of a resurgence in organic content that we've pretty well lost pre-pandemic. I think since the pandemic has hit, more and more people are looking to healthcare providers. Therefore, they're going to continue to see our content at least for a little bit. And so I think there is some equity there on the uh, organic side of the equation that we, that we weren't used to having. And so take advantage of that. And we've said this for a while, but you, we, you've got to be present there. It's got to be a community. You've got to have some sort of community management in place. You know, you can't just go check this stuff occasionally. It's not a broadcast medium, and I think that's the way we've treated it for a long time. So I think, you know, it's going to be important to make sure that you really do try to foster a community. Anything else, Reed? Um, I know we're spending a lot of time, again, thinking about consumerism and, you know, we're talking about price transparency and interoperability. And is there anything else that you're looking at over the next several months that providers should be aware of? Yeah. The other thing that really comes to mind for me, well, there's a lot of things, but the one, one, that, one of them that jumps out is internal communications. Like we've said, the world's changed quite a bit and uh, everybody went home about a year ago or a little over a year ago. So internal communications very quickly meant something different because they weren't physically internal. They were wherever they were. 
So how do we reach those folks? What does that look like? How does that change your intranet or your all users email or the letter from the CEO or all the things that you've done, the quarterly town hall forum, et cetera. How do you do that now? I mean, we've had a lot of conversations with a lot of clients around intranets, internal comms tools. How do we get to the mobile device? How do you, how do you communicate through SMS? Uh, how do you make sure people are being notified around things that they need to do? Not just the nice to know stuff. And yeah, a lot of these folks are not coming back. So we've got to change the way we think about communicating with employees. You know, how does that become two-way? How do you put some level of gamification into it? There's all kinds of pieces there. So the internal comms piece, I think, is something that we'll continue to spend more and more time on. Cool. Thanks, Reed. Um, let's check back in in a few weeks, do this again, and see what's changed, and maybe more importantly, what hasn't. Absolutely. Thanks, man. Thanks, man.